Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of And Finally with me, Sam Invader. I'd like to start off by apologising for a lack of an episode last week. I was all set to write down my notes and then record the episode when some family issues came up, which obviously I'm not going to discuss here and bore you with, but that stopped me from doing the recording. But I am here this week and this will be what should have been last week, which will be on the infamous dictator and... Uh, yeah, just infamous person, really, Genghis Khan. And uh, But before I start, I'd like to do the usual and say that we at Sigil Arts do stand with the Black Lives Matter campaign and issue that is still going on. Yes, the campaign seems to have died down and lost traction in the news, and we need to change that. We need people to be out there realising that change needs to happen. And we here at Sigil Arts hope that that change happens soon, and we are there to be a driving force for good when that change does come about. But that's enough about that again. I think we should get into talking about the man of the hour, Genghis Khan. So I'd like two disclaimers at the start. One, my pronunciation will suck in this episode because these some of these Mongol names of places and people, I can't say. I, you know, I, the only language I passed in school was English and that's my first language, so that's cheating. And the other disclaimer is to say that where he did live a fairly long time ago now, there is a lack of contemporary and written evidence about his life, especially his early life. So I was digging a lot deeper to uh, find some stuff about the uh, the man himself. So he was actually born uh, on the 16th of April, 1162 um, AD, in case anyone was a bit confused. This is all post Jesus Christ. And uh, he was born with the name Temujin, which actually means blacksmith in, in the Mongol language or the language of the time. He was born in Delukan Bulldog, which is uh, in modern day Mongolia, obviously, and it's near the uh, modern day capital, which I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Um, but some documentation actually states that he was born grasping a blood clot in his fist. And according to some legends, this is a traditional sign that someone is born destined to be a great leader. Now, obviously the thing with this, you could argue that this has been said later on to sort of say why he grew up to be the man he did. Or maybe it's true, but it could also just be propaganda that was put in there later to explain why he became this great leader and he united the Mongol nation. Anyway, his father was actually a chief um, of in in the uh, Mongol, Mongol confederation at the time and it was due to this that um, Genghis did have, for what the time was, a, a noble background and this did to some degree make his eventual consolidation of the Mongol tribes relatively easier than it would have been because he already had the reputation and the the lineage, I suppose, because at the time, family was a big thing, and the Mongol tradition was more you pass it through family rather than through people earning the, the positions. So this did make it easier in the long run. But um, Khan himself actually had... Khan obviously wasn't his, his name at the time, but I'm going to refer to him as that because his other name's hard to say. Khan actually had three brothers, one sister, and two half-brothers at the time and in his early life it was actually a bit difficult for him but it wasn't normal well by our standards anyway he was actually by his father had arranged to actually have him married and this was at the age of nine he wouldn't be married until he was 12 because that was the age of marriage in in the province at the time but 
at the age of nine, he'd already had his, his wedding arranged. And that's weird, I think, to think about. Normally, it's one, it's the woman being given away. But two, in this case, it's just weird. It's a nine-year-old. But due to that, when he was nine, he was actually delivered to the tribe of his future wife, Borte, B-O-R-T-E. There was some punctuation on top of the E as well. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head. And yeah, so he sort of moved away at the age of nine to live with his future wife, which is insane. But, you know, this is Genghis Khan. Nothing he did was normal, I suppose, as you will find out later. But actually, one day, whilst uh, returning home, his father was poisoned by a neighbouring tribe. They, they offered him some food. He took it, thinking it was just a nice gesture. And it was unfortunately poisoned, and uh, Genghis Khan's father died. Genghis, hearing of this, actually came home and tried to claim his father's chief position in the, in the tribe. But was actually denied by the people of the tribe. And his family were actually basically abandoned and excommunicated from the tribe and they were left to fend for themselves and weren't given any protection of any kind. Uh, so for the following years his family actually they lived in poverty and they survived mostly off things like wild fruits, ox carcasses, mammoths and other small game animals that Genghis and his brothers could hunt and kill with the limited resources and abilities they had after being excommunicated. Uh, Genghis's older half-brother, though, Vector, began to show dominance as, as the oldest male in the family, and actually had claim to his stepmother um, in that regard, which is another thing I think is weird, obviously, by modern standards, but back then it was fine, that wasn't his birth mother, so he, he had claim to her. But um, Genghis got a bit jealous of this, not, I think, that, you know, his stepbrother was going to marry his mum, I think it's more jealous of the power his stepbrother was gaining so actually on a uh, hunting excursion uh, Khan and his brother Kasha killed Bekta and yeah they, they just offed him they thought he had too much power so they, they killed him and, and got him out of the way which I mean I don't know how old they would have been at this point uh, I don't know that's got to be around the 12 mark I think he was married by this point so this is obviously hard with little documentation, but he would have been very young, probably 15 at most. And yeah, he's just, he's just killed his own brother to consolidate his own power and stop any threat he had and would have been about 10 at this time, which is insane. But I suppose once again, this is, this is a real sign of, of the man to come. He would have done anything for that power and even kill his own stepbrother in cold blood. Um, but around 1177, uh, Khan was actually captured by his father's former allies and was enslaved. Um, but with the aid of a guard, he actually escaped and managed to hide in a river crevice and wasn't then found afterwards. And weirdly enough, the uh, guard's son would go on to be one of the famed generals of Genghis Khan, apparently. So he did end up repaying the guard's family by giving the son a major role in his eventual military campaigns, which is nice. It's nice to know he, he didn't forget, and, you know, he respected them for that. Um, but it was around this point that he then began his own plan to achieve power and achieve dominance. And uh, this sort of occurred by first offering himself as an ally to his father's sworn brother, or blood brother it was called, Togharul. 
I'm really sorry about these pronunciations. Um, who was actually the Khan of the Keratites at the time. And uh, this was this union was sort of solidified and made official when, when Genghis's wife, Borte, uh, was captured. And uh, Togrul actually gave Genghis an army of 20,000 warriors to go fight and get her back. And he even asked for the aid of his friend Jamaka, who sent, who was another Khan at the time, and sent, he gave him forces as well, and they did eventually rescue Genghis's wife. Um, but it was after this that Jamaka and Genghis, they actually had sort of a falling out um, during the previously mentioned incident. Nothing is said about how or why they, the two, the two leaders fell out, but they did. And, uh, which is a shame because they too were once considered blood brothers or sworn brothers. But due to this, they uh, each began trying to consolidate their own power and actually eventually became rivals. And this may have been the reason why they eventually fell out. The two of them may have realised they were both gambling for the same power and therefore, sorry, excuse me, where they fell out because they knew that they couldn't both have all the power. But this rivalry... It really did kick off, but by 1186, Genghis was officially elected Khan of the tribe that he was leading at the time in the Mongol constituency. Um, but threatened by this, Jamaka actually retaliated and sent an army of 30,000 troops uh, to go and fight Khan, and, and Khan lost, actually. Um, and this was in 80, 1187, so the year after this took place, and yeah, he, he lost, which was a shock for me, because I just, whenever I think of Genghis Khan, I just think of conquest after conquest after conquest, like, I'd never, this is weird, because he's, he's not a hero, but I just never pictured him losing, never, and that's something I think does need to be remembered, this man, despite, it's weird reading his past like this, because I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I think of Genghis Khan, I think of the tyrant madman who was probably the most significant but evil and successful dictator in all of history. But he did have a, a real background and he had quite a troubling one being enslaved. And obviously this is the 1100s. So we didn't have civilization like we do now and organization. It was tribes fighting tribes. But it's still interesting to look and realise that one, he lost, but two, he didn't have the easiest of, of lives. He wasn't just some great winner. Um, but, like the blood clot suggested, he got there eventually. And actually, ten years after his um, uh, capture at the hands of his once blood brother, uh, he was reinstated into a position of power. Um, and I say 10 years later because there are no records of what happened to him in the 10 years between 1187 and 1197. So there, no one can really comment on uh, what happened there, unfortunately. So yes, we jumped 10 years later where after leading a successful uh, military campaign, him and his father's former blood brother were reinstated into positions of power. The blood brother gaining a position as a Khan again, and Genghis gaining a 
lower position, but he was still back in the running and bid for power. Genghis himself had a unique leadership style. Um, he he deviated from the normal Mongol standards. Like I said earlier, the Mongols was normally it was it was you know blood is thicker than water, and all of that stuff that some people still follow today. Basically, it was a society built on nepotism. But Genghis didn't like that. He preferred to reward people based on their merits rather than their family ties. And this could be argued to be one of the reasons why his Mongol Empire grew to be one of the most successful, probably the most successful empire the world has ever seen. Because he, he deviated from the old standards. The old standards were leading to squabbling and infighting and nepotism. Nothing was getting done because you weren't giving it to the person who was best at the job. You were giving it to the person who you were related to but Genghis wasn't having any of this he he realized that nepotism was, was a stupid military and leadership campaign what you need to do is give it to the most qualified which would then make conquering easier and once again you're talking about this like he, he's the hero no th he was giving these people who were good at their jobs positions of power to do awful things um but in a way he wasn't he wasn't all bad and that's a weird thing to say about him, but when he conquered a tribe, he didn't just abandon it and, and leave it for ruin like most conquerors would have done at the time. He, strangely enough, he, he took the tribe on and, and took it under his wing and actually offered it protection. And he made it a true constituent of his outreach and his land and he'd, he'd leave a garrison there essentially. and reinstate his own political leader at the place who would obviously follow him but would be the new leader and he even went as far as to if there were any orphans from the tribe presumably he'd killed their parents in the siege if there were any orphans he'd have his mother adopt them into their own family which is insane because once again here we're talking about Genghis Khan and don't get me wrong, I'll get onto some of the atrocities a bit later on, so don't you stress about that. But at the same time, I never would have took Genghis Khan as a man that would have basically adopted orphans into his own family. And yes, whilst he's executed a lot of people in the village, he didn't just then leave it for dead. He then protected the people that he chose to let live. And it's some sort of weird, twisted form of morality. But it makes him far more interesting than just the villain that I've come to know him as. Um, and yeah, it's so strange that there's not much on his life. But what you can learn about it, it paints a much broader picture than what you've learned before. And that's why I love this particular podcast. And I hope you love it because it's le you're learning more about these people that you you hear about in history and you get maybe just a few words associated with them but they don't you know the bad people they might not show you the good and the good people they might not show you the bad um i'm still not denying he's one of the massive villains of history but in the grand scheme of things maybe he wasn't the worst that's up for you to decide and we still have more to go through with our good man genghis um his military strategies were also different for the time he was actually incredibly interested in, in intelligence gathering and understanding his enemies before attacking. 
this was something different at the time because it was mainly tribal warfare, which it was basic, you know, one village invades another village on a much larger scale. But but Genghis wasn't, he, he knew intelligence was the key and literally he was a very smart and clever man. The Mongol Empire, which will get its own episode, separate from Genghis Khan himself, um, was amazing and it just the way it spanned the way it worked i remember hearing a story once where it was actually told by jeremy clarkson but he's a very knowledgeable man on these sort of things he was talking about the mongol empire and it was like you could keep genghis could get a message from one side of his empire to the other in a matter of mere days because the horseback rider when he was approaching the next horse station would sort of blow a horn the horse station would have the next horse ready and by the time he got there, he'd just hop on the next horse and keep going. And that sort of organisation and genius and planning, it's incredible, especially going back all the way to then, what we're talking about now. He, he truly was a, an incredible man, des- despite his atrocities. He was very... I think this is the fun thing you'll find with most evil dictators through history. He was a very clever man. And... Yeah, that's that's the problem, I think, with a lot of dictators. They are incredibly clever and could have been so much better if they weren't psychopathic, really, at the end of the day. But in the 1100s, realising that intelligence gathering was the key to winning a war, that is something that I don't think had been thought of at the time. But to the point where he had the first ever spy network, really. But it was extensive. It covered the whole empire and any territories he planned on conquering. He had this massive spy network, it's like, and this is in the 1100. I never would have thought there would have been a spy network that massive. Well, even now, really, not in the 1100s in the Mongol Empire. But Genghis thought that intelligence was the key to winning wars, and at the end of the day, <laughs> he wasn't wrong. You can't, you can't argue with it, and frankly, you can't argue with his results either. Um, yeah, he was a very clever, clever and efficient leader, and he was always trying to learn and adapt new strategies as, as he went on his conquests. The major one was when he learnt siege warfare from the Chinese, and after he learnt that, that made his military campaigns far more efficient and, well, frankly, far quicker, as he just bulldozed his way through enemy troops and, yeah, like... He, his intelligence, it was learning, and I don't want to compare him to, but I suppose you have to. It's like Hitler. Hitler, who once again will receive his own episode, was a very clever man. Incredibly, incredibly clever man. But used it for the wrong reasons, much like Genghis, and Genghis was clearly far beyond his time. And so maybe the blood clot thing was true, maybe he was destined for this, because he was far and beyond his time in terms of how he led and how he did everything, and yeah, I just, it's amazing. But that being said, we can't ignore the fact he was incredibly ruthless, as seen by his infamous linchpin technique, which was a way of determining which males were to be beheaded and executed after a siege. Now, this would include, um, he had a linchpin attached to a massive wagon wheel where it would carry his resources through. And if you were taller than the linchpin, 
um, your head would swiftly be removed and yeah, you, you would have been executed on the spot. Which was just a way of, I think, establishing dominance and power. Um, yeah, he, you can't deny it, he was just ruthless and brutal. Despite all of the good things that I've said about him so far, there is there is no denying that he was still not a nice person and his methods were incredibly violent. But, you know, the linchpin thing seemed to work for him because by 1206, everything had paid off for him and he had united the Mongol tribes for the first time into what is now known as the Mongol Empire. And this, despite doing it through absolute brutality, resulted for the first time in peace between all of the warring tribes and they were all now united under a single political and military system. A very efficient political and military system as well. To the point where, like literally complete peace, it was just so efficient and they all just followed him. He would implement his own people into the city-states to monitor each of the places, but they would all be ruled by him, the great Emperor Genghis Khan. Um, and it was now, after being recognised as, as the Khan of the United Mongol Tribes, that he actually officially took the name Genghis. So it was at this point, 1206, united the Mongol tribes into the Mongol Empire, first time peace in a very long time, that we get Genghis Khan officially Emperor of the Mongol Empire. And it was an impressive empire as well. As I said before, it's the biggest the world has ever seen. And literally, it was 23 million square kilometers, the empire. And it reached all the way from the Pacific Ocean in the east to the Danube River and the Persian Gulf in the west and that is massive. I implore you to go online and look at the expanse and the, the extent of this man's empire. It was absolutely ridiculous how far it was and he achieved all of that and he united these people in a way that hadn't been seen before. He basically united the entire Silk Road which is something that hadn't been seen before because it wasn't just the Mongol tribe that were fighting. Most of the Asian tribes are fighting, you had China going for it as well. He united them all un under peace, and it's weird because <laughs> it was peace through tyranny. Yeah, but it was peace, and for a while it worked. Um, you can argue whether it was a good or bad thing. Um, bad, most likely, but he did it. He did it. And... Uh, yeah, how, but by August 2021, 1221, sorry, 2021, God, that hasn't even happened yet, although I want 2020 to be over, but yes, by August 1221, uh, Khan had actually died due to unknown causes, um, this is one of those other areas where the historical records, they just don't know, um, as you can see by a lot of his life, this episode seems very brief and at this rate it might be shorter than the others, because I wanted to keep the Mongol Empire separate because it's got a lot to do on its own and go too long then but there's not enough about Genghis on his own to be I think a 40 minute episode unless I've really dragged it out and that would just be boring but he, he, the reason of his death is still debated despite there not being much evidence 
Uh, some people think he died in battle, some think it was age, some think it was illness, some think he could have been poison. But the most common belief is that he actually was on a hunting excursion and fell from his horse. But due to his age and his previous injuries, this one was too much for him to handle and he eventually succumbed to the injuries and, and died there in the August. Um, but prior to his death, Khan had actually requested that he be buried without any markings. So he didn't want a big flashy grave that, that showed off where he was. He, he just, wanted, just wanted to be buried. And uh, so no one actually knows where Genghis Khan is buried. The most we know is that his body was returned to Mongolia. So we know it's somewhere there. But no one actually knows where. Um, there is a Genghis Khan mausoleum um, built not far from the capital city of Mongolia. So near his birth. But this is purely a memorial and is not stated to be his actual burial site, which could be a massive red herring and he's under the thing. But it's likely that that is not where he's buried because um, this mausoleum was built a few years after his death. As I say, as a memorial, that no one, no one knows where he's um, buried. In fact, there's even a legend that says that the funeral escort killed anyone and anything that came across their path to conceal the location. If anyone saw the escort, they'd be killed immediately to make sure, oh, pardon me again, sorry, that there were no witnesses, that no one alive, other than these select few people, knew where Genghis Khan was buried. And that is why to this day, I still don't think anyone actually knows where his body is. We just know it's somewhere, somewhere in Mongolia. Maybe we don't need to dig it up, that might, um, that might be some bad luck. He's the kind of person you don't want coming back as an angry ghost. But saying that, there's focusing, I suppose, on a bit of the good itself and more on his good, and actually relating to maybe a few more modern issues. The Mongol Empire itself that he created and under the laws that he instated, actually, they didn't care about race or ethnicity he made sure that his laws emphasized that there was no importance in your race or ethnicity within the mongol empire it didn't matter and in, in some ways that's good because there was no discrimination but on other hands that's probably also a bad thing because it's removing cultural identity but i suppose when you're conquering another village or tribe you're always going to remove a bit of their identity if not all of it to replace it with your own anyway but regardless of that, to this date, the Mongol Empire is one of the most, if not the most, ethnically diverse empires of all time, under the reign of Genghis Khan. And this was because of the laws he put in to just not focus on it whatsoever. And yes, that was a very good thing, and whilst he was revered for that, and obviously revered to have been the man that united the Silk Road under one political environment, the rest of his actions can't be ignored in history and it, it's the next few things I'm about to mention that the man is frankly remembered for. Um, <clears throat> there's no other way of saying it than his conquests were just bathed in blood and he is one of the most substantial mass murderers of all time. Um, there's no other way of saying it that he is, yeah, the biggest mass murderer of all time. Prob well, there might be a few people with high death counts, but not many. And despite his uh, emphasis on there being no importance on race or ethnicity, everyone was equal, 
he uh, did commit his fair share of ethno and genocides um, just by wiping out complete races of people that stood in his way. And, and if you refused to surrender after after battle, he would uh, you'd either be enslaved, which weirdly enough is the better of the two, or just executed. Well, actually, I don't know which one's better. It depends on how how they treated the slaves, which there's no there's not much evidence on that. But yeah, through his many just mass murderings, genocides, and ethnocides, um, the record says that his death count is somewhere between ten to fifteen million people, which which is ridiculous, really. Like such a high. I mean, if you think about it, Hitler. I hate to compare, but he's sort of the most modern and most well-known modern dictator. Hitler was what, just over six million maybe a bit higher seven million you know Genghis has pretty much doubled that uh, with ease and just yeah maybe he had more time to do it but it's still a ridiculous amount of people to have, have been killed due to the actions of one man and that's where the real contention comes in because you learn the rest about it and you think oh he does have a tortured past he but he united warring nations he's not that bad he you know, was there he put an emphasis on not focusing on ethnicity and treating everyone equally. But then when it came to his conquest, there's not many people, if any, that have bathed in more blood than he has as a person. And it that's what he's known for in history. And it's weird where the likes of Anne Boleyn in week one, I'd argue that how she's remembered in history shouldn't be how she's remembered. Genghis Khan, I feel like, should, if you're going to remember him as any one thing, I think you need to, to remember him as, as the bad guy. You can look at the good stuff, but at the same time, his crimes are, are too hefty and the blood spill is, is too high an amount to ever, ever view him as anything but the villain of uh, his story, really. But there's a bit more to him than that. He was actually known for having a large amount of wives with, with six. Um, weirdly enough, being his, uh, should we say, proper wives. And then he had 500 sub-wives, which were like wives that weren't as important, but were still technically wives. Which frankly puts uh, Henry VIII to shame with his six. Like He's like, oh look, I've got six wives, I'm important now. Look, Genghis had six important ones, and then 500 other ones like that's one hell of a lad <clears throat> like honestly that's impressive however it might not be that impressive because whilst the six proper ones are ones that, that married him and in mongol tradition being polyag but yeah having m multiple wives i'm not going to try and say that word again i've you know slipped up on enough mongol words today let's not do it on english ones as well um, but the large majority of them, it's argued, oh, I just dropped my pen, how much consent uh, was involved in their marriages, because there were a lot of times where he would basically just steal the wives of the leaders that he'd killed in his conquest, and to that degree, how much say did these women have in it? Did they just accept their fate? Did they put up a fight? You know, one way or another, it was... <coughs> might have not been consensual and this is why a lot of historians do also uh, revere him as one of the most prolific rapists of all time because <clears throat> you can't guarantee that all 500 of those women 
wanted to then be taken on as one of his wives and and he definitely though had sexual relations with them because and this is the most out there fact ever that currently there are 16 million people alive today that are direct descendants of Genghis Khan now let's just take a moment to put into perspective that that is for a fact more people that are basically through the lines his children than he killed and considering he's one of the most biggest mass murderers in history the fact that there is no doubt about the fact that he has more descendants in modern day is ridiculous yes that's been what over 900 years 800 years but at the same time that many kids but that's what you get when you've got essentially 506 wives but yes, you do have to, to put up the debate, was it all consensual? And and that's where, once again, you've got to remember that he wasn't he wasn't the good guy. 16 million people, that's, out of all the people listening to this, there's got to be at least a couple of us that are probably somewhere down the line, Genghis Khan is in our family. And not just through, oh, he was my uncle. No, he was, he gave birth to the people that ended up giving birth to you, like, we didn't give birth, he was a man, but that's ridiculous, because we're not talking about people related to him through long lost things, like you go on your family tree, and you see your great, 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 great uncle's sister's brother, right? This is people he directly, his children had these people, which gave birth to these people, so somewhere along the line, 16 million people alive today are direct descendants of Genghis Khan, and that's, that's insane. It's just mental that one man still has essentially this much of an impact on, on people today. Yeah, his empire isn't there anymore, but his descendants, quite frankly, still are. They're still kicking about in mass numbers. It's ridiculous. And that's the thing with Genghis Khan. His impact is still felt all these years later. And, you know... It's weird to think that other dictators have come and gone. You've had Mao, you've had your Stalins, you've had your, your Hitlers. But the worst one of them all is still Genghis Khan. Um, I think that might be a good thing that we haven't had anyone as bad. We've still had people that have tried. and It's for that reason that you do need to remember people like Genghis. You do need to remember, and that's why I feel like this episode is important as well. One, to learn that he didn't do everything bad, that he wasn't a completely evil person. Also to remember that he was still an evil person, and <laughs> that's something we shouldn't forget. I think it's important at the moment to remember that just because something bad happened in history, you can't then erase it from history. We can't erase Genghis Khan, we can't erase Hitler. They happened, they were real, they killed X many people, they affected the lives of so many people in, in so many awful ways and it's horrible it's the sort of thing you want to forget it's the stuff of nightmares Genghis Khan is a horrible horrible man and if there is an afterlife I've got no doubt that he's burning in hell right now right but you can't ignore that you can't ignore what he did it is a big part of our history and as this podcast strives to show and I think it even says in the show's description I don't even know why I say I think I wrote the show's description I know it says this that the key to tomorrow 
and the key to the present is the past. We need to know what happened in the past and learn from it. We can't just destroy history. You can't... You can rewrite it, though. The Rewriting it is okay. Changing people's perceptions on certain people and events are fine. Like I did, as I say, with Anne Boleyn in the first week, where I tried to hopefully teach you that she wasn't what history has painted her out to be. So rewriting certain parts of history are okay. The parts that were rewritten in the first place to fit agendas. You also can't destroy history. You can't get rid of it. You can't ignore it. History is who we are today. So as horrible as Genghis Khan is, he existed and he's real. And that's where some of these topics I talk about will get very dark and very, very upsetting because I will do a Mongol Empire one. And I know that later down the line, Adolf Hitler will have an episode of Anne finally. And it won't be pleasant at all, really. Um, there'll be other ones, pirates and even Vikings to an extent. They won't always be pleasant topics, but you can't ignore this stuff. You've got to accept it happened, but learn from it and become better people because of it. And that's sort of where I'm going to end the, uh, the story time and I think the uh, message of this episode. But before we wrap up, I would like to mention our sponsor for this week, which is King Styles Apparel, which do great merchandise for all of the creators here at Sigil Arts. Um, especially me um, the shirt available at the moment is the Say Invader shirt, it's fantastic it's got references to things from other podcasts, from this and uh, You Have Failed and just a few inside jokes that you'll be let into eventually and there are some other great merch coming out from some other things related to me that I've seen so far that I can't wait to show you guys so please do go check out the store, look at our merchandise I hope you enjoy it and once again I really do Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And finally, I'll speak to you next week.